wants to make a snowman. And uh, I want to introduce you to my family because they're not ever all here at the same time. So my oldest son and uh, my daughter-in-law, I was about to say my oldest daughter-in-law, but I don't know. If, yes, okay, you're, you're the oldest daughter-in-law, so there you go. <clears throat> and my two grandkids, Eloise and Ezra James, and then my daughter is in from Texas, and then most everybody around here knows my other two. <laughs> um, so, so I do have to ask the question, because I ask every year, and I think this is important, um, to establish theological truth in our lives. How many of you are going to um, disobey God in open presence tonight? And do that? Open presence the day before he was born, like Jesus did. Okay. Um, actually, you know, I've held a pretty strong line on this for years and years and years. And um, we were talking today, my granddaughter and I, and she said something about, could we open presents tonight? So I went back to the Bible, and, I, and, I, and I'm coming up a little short on Scripture, so we may open some presents. So, no, some. So, okay, there we go. There, I said it. Um, Luke chapter 2. Oh, yeah, I do need to ask this stuff, too. How, how many of you are going to be having turkey tomorrow? Turkey? A few people. Good. I feel like I'm winning the battle. How many of you are going to be having anything but turkey? Right. Uh, a big one for me, I like, and I don't even know, we had, we had green chili and rice last night, but um, I like tamales on Christmas. Anybody do tamales on Christmas? Or at least New Year's, right? You got to do New Year's, tamales on New Year's? Okay, Luke chapter 2, this is, this is a Christmas story, and I want to, to kind of go a little bit uh, different direction <clears throat> than just straight down the Christmas story, because I think, I think, there is a, I think there's some big stuff here, and I, and I know that we know this, and I'll try to, you know, pick on the usual things for Christmas, but I, I love Christmas, and I love everything about Christmas. I, yes, I know, for some of you this may be brand new information, but Christmas... Jesus was not born in December. He was born around March, April-ish, somewhere around there. We know that, right? So, um, but this is when we celebrate his birthday. And I like all of the stuff about it. I like the presents. Um, that was, that's a tradition that we developed over time. That wasn't, and some people say, no, that came from the, the three wise men, right? You guys know I've picked on this before. There, were not, there was not three wise men. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says there were wise men, but it doesn't say how many. We say three because there's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? And those gifts have significance to them, the three different things. I'm not going to unpack that tonight, but, but just Google that. Why gold? Why frankincense? Why myrrh? Why were those gifts given to Jesus? And they're very, very important to the story, okay? The, the, there were many wise men. We know that there was a large entourage of people that were involved there, not just three. Um, but I, I really do like all of the stuff about Christmas. I like Christmas trees. I like Christmas presents. I like Santa in a, in a big red outfit. Um, again, where did Santa in the big red outfit come from? Coca-Cola. Not the chimney. Coca-Cola. That's where we got... Before that, Santa Claus was green suit. Green trimmings. All the stuff was green because it was St. Nicholas. Okay? And so a lot of the things that we kind of celebrate and do stuff now, it's, it's been developed over time, traditions and a lot of stuff. 
And while some of it came from good past and some of it came from bad past, I really just like Christmas. I like all the stuff about it. I have no problem with Christmas trees and stockings. And, and um, here's another one. Where did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer come from? The North Pole. Everybody knows that. So Luke chapter 2, verse 4. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This, I, I, the significance of this, and we, so, you know, we see the nativities, we see baby Jesus, we see all the stuff, but I don't think we, we grasp, and now this is 2,000 years later, I don't think we grasp the enormity of this moment. That, that when Jesus hits the scene, he changes everything. He doesn't, he doesn't just change a little bit of a time there and start a religion. You think about this. He changes everything. Every country on the planet is affected by Jesus over the next 2,000 years in, in huge ways, not small ways. Everywhere on the planet was directly affected by Jesus. Different places that I've been, and, and the, the ones, some of the ones that caught me the most was a couple places in China that I went to where you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. At least it felt that way to me. And then you come to a temple, and this temple was started. There was one in particular that had a big plaque up that said that this, I don't know if it's true or not, but they said that this temple, that this, uh, it was a Christian temple, was started by Thomas. And that they, that they that's their like, claim to fame kind of thing. But whether it was started by Thomas or not, that's a Christian church in China that's, that's at 2,000 years old. Jesus affected everything. He changed the world. He changed the concept of governments. He changed the concept of how people should treat people. This is across the world. This is not just with the people that he taught, like on the, the, the mount or something like that. This, was, this is the world. Governments have been started. America started with the concept of Christian Judeo teaching of government and how you treat people and, and, um, and uh, justice and fairness and all these things. America was started that way. Most Western civilizations have a, a Judeo-Christian foundation in the governmental system at some level. Jesus changed, the, he changed everything. He changed every conversation. He changed how people looked at, at uh, conflict, how war, how people look at war. Jesus changed the concept of everything. And, and obviously for us right now, the most important thing is he changed the storyline so that you and I can know who he is as Savior. And that's obviously the most important thing. I was thinking about this. Usually I talk about this concept um, from the cross to the resurrection, that three-day time frame. But to look at this from, from the understanding of Jesus being born, that, that every Every demonic power, everything Satan had, every power that Satan had, he was, he was mustering to try to keep Jesus from being born. And it's not like Satan couldn't know that that was happening. There's too, there's too much prophecy. And while, and while there, uh, a lot of people in history have misread the prophecy, and even today, uh, many, many Jewish people still misread the prophecies of who Jesus was and when he came to this earth and also, Satan didn't misread them. He got them right. And he knew that when Jesus was to be born, it was going to change everything. But here's the cool thing, and this speaks to me today when I'm going through stuff, is that, that Satan couldn't stop it. 
Jesus, Jesus was still born. Don't you think that, it, that, that, that Satan, if he could have just stopped that moment, it could have changed the whole story. There wouldn't have been redemption and grace and salvation and all this other stuff. We wouldn't be marrying Jesus. If he could have just stopped that moment, much less the cross and the resurrection, just don't let him ever arrive. Don't let, don't let Jesus ever take on human flesh. Stop that. But he, but he couldn't do that. I was thinking about the stars, and this is, this is one of the biggest for me, the star over Bethlehem. I, I very much am a literalist when it comes to Scripture. If the Bible says it, that's the way it is. And, and, I, and I've watched, I've, in fact, I've watched it probably 10 different times. There's a, there's a documentary that explains how during the time that Jesus was born, there's these two stars, uh, two planets that when they lined up, that, that it was shown really brightly in the sky, and that's the star. Scientists now are saying, well, that's probably the star that these wise men were following. There's a bunch of problems with that. One is it would not have led them to Bethlehem. It would have put them on a trajectory but they would still be following it unless they stopped somewhere. Well, how'd they know where to stop? Well, because the Bible says that the star literally came above where Jesus was born and shone down on where Jesus was born. And I, I, I see theologians all the time write this stuff and, and try to convince people. Well, yeah, but that's not, we know that could not have exactly happened. Right, but God could take on human flesh. That could happen, but he couldn't manipulate a star. That one could happen. Right? Think about, think about all the stuff that Jesus does. All the prophecies just for him getting here. And the star was the hang-up? The star's around? See, I believe, literally, I believe the star shone down on Bethlehem to the point where the, the wise men knew where to go exactly. Not just, ah, maybe. We're kind of heading that direction. Well, what's over there? Well, there's, there's Israel. That's about as close as they would have got. But, the, but it says, the scripture says, it led them to where Jesus was born. I'm just going to go with that. To me, it's easier just to believe what Jesus says rather than try to figure out the stuff. See, I believe the, Jesus caused the, the light or the, the Holy Spirit, be technical, caused the star to shine so he could see, and Satan couldn't stop it. And here's one of the things that, that, that this is the way I process it. Satan is still trying to stop it today by having a, a Science Channel documentary done about the star. He's st that star's still bothering him. Think about that. He's got to explain it some other way. Just coincidence. All of this stuff, just coincidence. The star shone and Satan couldn't stop it. The angels showed themselves to the shepherds. See, this is the thing with me. Which is more difficult, the angels Revealing themselves to the shepherds or the star? If you say, well, the angels revealing themselves to the shepherds, that was a good thing, a cool thing. Think about this analytically. You're, you're admitting that there is angels, which means there's God, which means he made it all so he can do the star. If the angels showed themselves to the shepherds, how many? It says a huge chorus. I believe that happened exactly like that. Not, well, maybe they saw, you know, the, uh, an aurora in the sky or something. No, it was the angels. See, I just take the Bible literally like it says, and this thing changed everything. This is, this is what the, the, the change was. The moment Jesus comes to this earth and takes on human flesh is the beginning. It's the beginning of a few things. I'm going to show you three. The first one is the beginning of salvation for all of humanity, which is important for you and I, because I need Jesus to save my soul. 
I, I need him to change me. I need him to save me. I want to spend eternity with him, and I need a savior to do that. And the moment he hits the manger, he begins the story. He begins salvation for all of him. Actually, he began it many long time before that, but I'll get to that. Isaiah 49, verse 5. Now the Lord speaks. The one who formed me in my mother's womb to be a servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to them. The Lord has honored me, and my God has given me strength. He says, you'll do more than restore the, the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's, that's a strong sentence for me because I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. So not only was he going to redeem or restore the, the Jewish people back to God, he was also going to restore or bring Gentiles to God. I'm a Gentile. That's, that's my salvation that he's talking about there. And Jesus begins this. He's, this is the story that he is, the, the wheels have been put in motion. It's been prophesied for literally thousands of years, but now Jesus is actually here and, and it has begun Everything has changed. Acts chapter 4, verse 11. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I was having a conversation with a guy just recently, the last couple of weeks, about this. He's not a Christian. He told me he wasn't a Christian. I asked him a bunch of questions. And he said... Well, I don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the only way. And I told him, that's, that's your prerogative. That's your right. You can, this, this is the cool thing about being a human. You can choose whatever you want. You can have faith or not. You can believe Jesus is the only way or not. But here's the kind of thing with me. I don't think you can believe Jesus is one of the options. Okay? You either have to believe Jesus is the only option, or you have to believe that Jesus is not an option. Because being Part of an option doesn't make sense because he said he's the only way. So you either kind of got to believe all or you kind of got to believe none. He said, that's the way my brain works. Now, for me, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm all in with Jesus. I believe this story. I believe every single thing about it. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that his blood covers me and forgives my sins. I, I am all in with all of it. And I had somebody ask me one time, what if you're wrong? I, don't, I have no answer for that. I guess I'm wrong. I guess we'll all see, won't we? I mean, isn't in, in that, in that a legitimate way to look at that? I guess we'll see. But I, I think I'm right. In fact, I've staked my life on it. I believe that Jesus is the way. Another thing that, the, that Jesus coming to this earth, taking on human flesh, he began, is he began the end for Satan. And this is extremely important for us too. John chapter 12, verse 30. Then Jesus told them, the voice, this is God speaking from heaven. The voice was for your benefit, not mine. Jesus didn't need to be convinced of God, right? The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth. Is he taking my bubba out? He needs to hear the gospel, John. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, that's the cross, that's salvation. Okay, he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. This is one of the things that we, that we have to kind of, we have to embrace, we have to accept, and I think churches have to embrace this, is we don't have to have a bunch of um, 
gimmicks and stuff to try to convince people to come to church. All we have to do is tell them about Jesus and he'll draw people to himself. It's not about coming to church. It's about knowing Jesus. That's the key. When you know Jesus, you want to go to church. But you need to know Jesus. And we try too much just to get people to come to church. We're missing it. Jesus says, look, just lift me up. Just like I'm going to be lifted up, I will do that. I will take care of everything. You just tell people about me, and I'll pull people to me. That's all we have to do is just present Jesus. Why? Because he's pretty amazing. He's pretty big. He says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is when Jesus hits the earth and, and puts on this human baby skin. It's probably not the right way to say it, but when he puts on humanness, um, he, he starts this this destruction of Satan. The, the, see, this was started in Genesis chapter 3 when, when Eve sinned, Adam sinned, a servant was speaking to him. Then, then God comes back later and he, and, he, and he says, and this is the way we put it in the, the way we translate into English is we say these are the curses that God put upon them. But I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think what God was doing is saying, this is what you chose. I'm holding you accountable for it. He says to Eve, this is, if you want to use the term curse, because this is what you did and this is the result and this is what you're going to be held accountable to. But since you're the mother of all uh, women, over all humanity, then all women are going to have to deal with this. And Adam, you sinned. This is what you did. This is the result. And now all men will be accountable to this. But here's the thing also that he says next is he says to the serpent, and I've had people argue with the mentality that the serpent wasn't really Satan because it doesn't say he was Satan. Except other places in the scripture does say that. And then God says to the serpent, he says, her offspring, talking about Eve, but actually talking about Mary too, he says, her offspring will crush your head. There's no way that that is not Satan he's talking to. And he says, he's going to crush your head. That was prophesied. And for thousands of years, God was preparing the way for Jesus to come and do what? crush Satan and take the authority from Satan back that, that human beings had given. God gave the humans the authority over the earth. They gave it up to Satan, volunteered it to Satan. And when Jesus goes into to, to that space between the cross and the resurrection, he takes the keys, the, 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 uh, the ability to control the authority over death, hell, and the grave away from Satan and says, now anybody that wants to come under my covering, under my blood covering, will now be under my authority and you can't do anything about it. They're under my authority. And his, it took his death to do that. And see, the thing is, is Satan knew that. He knew that all the way along. And it says here, and this is another thing where I, I have this discussion with people every now and then that say there's no such thing as a hell. The Bible doesn't even teach there's a hell. I hear that all the time. Like, you just don't read the Bible if you're... If, you can't say that stuff. It's like there's no God in the Bible. What? You haven't read it. There's, that's what it is. And he says that he's going to throw Satan, the devil, where the beast and the false prophet already are, and they're going to be in hell forever and ever, tormented day and night. And this, is, this, this manger is the beginning of this. It's the beginning of the end for Satan. The third thing as it is also the beginning of eternity married to Christ. 
And this is where I think, this is my, my thinking, is I don't think the church talks about this part enough. I think we use terms like, like um, you know, get saved and, and accept Jesus and prayer sinner's prayer and things like that. And those are very limited moments in time and space in, in my thinking, the way my brain processed that. And really what Jesus is, is calling us to is when he dies on the cross, he is basically asking all of humanity to marry him. And if we accept that, we are now engaged, we become betrothed, and this is the, the story of the, the ten virgins. That's the point of the story, is that we are now engaged to Christ, and when he comes back, he's going to be looking for if we are ready for the groom to come take his bride. That's a, that's a life mentality. That's not a conversion moment. That's a life-giving. That's a, I, I submit myself. My life is not yours, I give it to you. That's, that's that we are going to be married to Christ. In Revelation chapter 22, and right above it in 21, he says, this is what the Lamb says to the, the um, bride. And down in verse 3 of Revelation 22, he says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. See, the decisions for me, this is the way I look at the Christmas story. This is not the Easter story, this is the Christmas story. That When I see Jesus in the manger, to me I say, that is my Savior. It's not a disconnect. You know, sometimes we push that into a different arena where that's, that's the little baby Jesus, and then somewhere along the way um, there's this adult Jesus. That baby in the manger was the beginning of what we call salvation. It's the beginning of this whole thing. And when he says on the cross, it is finished, he is talking about something that he started the moment. Literally, he started in Genesis 3, but he starts the moment when he takes on this human flesh. So for what purpose? To give God glory. That's what John 1.14 says, is that he, he does this to glorify God so that we can see God. So now we have the opportunity to spend eternity with him. So my, my choice is this. I give my life to Jesus Christ. I give everything to him. And Satan cannot deceive me. He's not going to lie to me. He lied to me for a long time. And I believed a lot of what he said, most of what he said. Some of it I didn't believe, but I was like choosing to believe it kind of thing. But, but once I gave my life to Jesus, I am choosing him over whatever else is out there, and I'm not going to let Satan deceive me. And I think that's a big one for us today. We're being deceived on so many angles, so many levels, so many ways. And at some point, we have to say, Jesus, I need you, and you, you're the one who, who flattens the plane of everything else. I serve you, and you fight my battles. You take care of everything else. I serve you. I choose you. And Jesus will bring us truth. And I, I strongly believe that you don't get truth separate from Jesus. You can get parts of it, but you're not getting absolute truth unless it's with Jesus. The second thing I choose is I choose to worship Jesus, and I'm not going to let Satan stop that. And by the way, he tries. He tries to stop me. He tries to stop you from worshiping him. Satan does not like it when, when you worship. Satan did not like it when the angels showed up to the shepherds. In fact, I really think that's one that caught him off guard. Because why? 
the, the angels came to the lowest of the lowest. I don't think that's the way Satan saw that going down. And when, he, and when that happens, I think it catches him off guard. He wasn't ready to, to try to squelch that one. And the angels are worshiping, praising. And I want to do that. And I'm not going to let Satan stop that under any circumstances. Through, through my own insecurities or through my own selfishness or, or um, uh, inattention or whatever. I'm, I'm going to worship Jesus with my heart, my life, my voice, everything. I'm also going to live my life for Jesus. My, my existence my daily routine, I'm going to live my life. I'm not, I'm not going to let Satan um, pull me away with temptations or, or, or uh, convince me that this is okay or this is better or whatever case is. There's a lot of stuff out there that Satan is trying to lay the path for you. And it's amazing how quickly we can grab onto that stuff. How quickly we can make choices that are destructive to us. Destructive to our soul, our mind, our marriages, our life, our family, children, all these things. And how quickly we can grab onto that stuff. Instead of saying, Jesus, I give my life to you, and I'm not going to let the liar, the deceiver, the tempter do anything to change that direction. I give my life to you. And then the last part is I tell others about Jesus. That I've got to share this. You know, immediately it says when the, the wise men got, um, well, first it says with the shepherds. When the shepherds saw them, immediately went out and told other people. Immediately went out and told others says the same thing with the wise men, that they began to tell the story and share the story. In fact, that's what made Herod mad, is they were telling the story of who Jesus is. And he tried to keep it quiet, and, they, and the Holy Spirit showed him, he's lying to you, don't, don't, don't pay attention. So they told other people, they went a different direction and told people. This is a decision you have to make. Just like accepting Jesus as your Savior, you have to make a decision. I will be obedient to the Great Commission. I will tell others. And I'm not going to let Satan stop that or hinder that. I'm not going to let him blind me or intimidate me to te from telling other people about Jesus. So I need some, um, I need some volunteers. Good for you. Come here. I need another volunteer. No, no, no. Just like this. You? You? Don't drop it. I said that in first service, and it dropped. But they were much smaller in first service. Now, here's what you're going to do. Everybody else got to stand. Okay? Get candle in hand. Why do we light candles on Christmas Eve? I have no idea. But we do. So that's what we're going to do. No, we're, we'll talk about this, but hopefully you see this as we light these. That the light really does cut through the darkness in a powerful way. So you guys go around, begin to light just a few, and let everybody else light their others. You had one job, Alex. One job. You still got one job, Alex. Go ahead and start dropping the lights there, Mike. In fact, just go ahead and turn them all off. That'll work for us.
person in here, they will, they will make this decision right now. They need you 